African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where you get your African perspective. Uh, Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on Shortwave, on DSTV Channel 802. And if you're joining us on our website, we're on uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, thank you for joining us in our next hour. We try to contextualize one subject matter on the African continent. And sometimes we look at international matters. Well, today we're going to be looking at a very interesting subject matter. We're looking at South Africa's ruling African National Congress's election manifesto, which was unveiled on the weekend. Uh, The party, amongst other things, promised to create 275,000 jobs each year and also vowed to accelerate land reform. Remember, interact with us on our social media. Uh, Our Facebook page is simply titled Channel Africa. The question that we're asking today after the release of that particular manifesto on the weekend is do you think the ruling party, the African National Congress, is still the relevant political party to deal with the challenges of South Africa after being in power for almost 25 years? Give us your thoughts on our Facebook page. Uh, We want to hear from you. But let me also read some of the thoughts that came from yesterday's discussion uh, before we carry on with the program. And uh, we were looking at the Democratic Republic of Congo, especially looking at questions surrounding the recent elections with the SADC uh, calling for a recount. We know the Catholic Church has questioned the official results of uh, the uh, elections and uh, the church saying that they posted uh, 40,000 election observers saying that their results do not match the final results. And we asked the question yesterday, what do you think is the way forward for the Democratic Republic of Congo with questions surrounding the recent elections? I just want to read a few of your responses. Kingsley Newman says uh, this will affect uh, affect, uh, Felix Chisekedi because he will use the time uh, for development for peace in the country. Uh, Fred uh, Melikita says much of it is difficult to accept defeat for the sake of peace and unity in the country. I feel it's of great importance to just respect the will of the people and move on. Fayulu knows the uh, issues of the country and understands uh, that the scenario could be worse and if there are more tensions. Let me just read one more here. Bozart Dor says, I think that the Constitutional Court should uh, validate the results, uh, those claims by Felix Chisekedi, uh, the fact that you he won the elections. Martin Fayulu is manipulated by Katumbi and the Lord Wojan uh, Pemba, who is uh, Congolese. This is time now just to build the country and move forward to make Congo better uh, than before uh, the page was turned. We need more from uh, international community and European commissions. Those were your thoughts from yesterday's discussion. So do interact with us today as we ask the question, do you think the ruling party, the African National Congress, is still the relevant party to deal with the challenges of South Africa after being in power for almost 25 years? Uh, So go to our Facebook page and give us your thoughts there. 
Unveiling the African National Congress's election manifesto this past weekend, President Cyril Ramaphosa has declared to transform the economy. Speaking as the president of the ANC, Ramaphosa said his party would do this through the creation of 275,000 jobs each year. Uh, he's also saying that he will boost local demand for goods and uh, he also do this by investing more in the mining, manufacturing, agriculture industries and also by expanding export markets. Ramaphosa further promise to accelerate social transformation and making education and health accessible to all. He added that he will step up the fight against corruption throughout society and safeguarding the integrity of the state and ethical leadership amongst other things. Well, to assist us on this subject matter, we're joined by Melanie Vervoot, who is a former ANC MP, but now also a political analyst. Thank you, Melanie, uh, for giving us your time. Hello, Benjamin, and hello to your listeners. Now, let's hear from your perspective. I mean, let's start with the atmosphere at the manifesto launch at the Moses Mabida Stadium, uh, where we heard a lot of cheers, especially around the entrance of uh, Jacob Zuma in the stadium and also under the mention of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. There were a lot of thoughts around uh, um, Jacob Zuma uh, joining in the election campaign Mm -hmm. trail, uh, Melanie. What are your thoughts around those dynamics? that we saw at that stadium uh, this past weekend? I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? Um, on the one hand, of course, what the ANC and what they try to do at Nasdaq as well is above all show unity. We are, and of course, Ramaphosa pushes that a lot, you know. Um, and it, it's this constant pretense that we're all in the same camp, everybody's happy, there's no problem, you know. Mm. Um, and of course, the exact opposite is, is, is true. Um, and you can see it and you can sense it and you can feel it and you also see it in the actual content of the manifesto that in order to keep this massive organization um, together but also to keep the tripartite alliance together you need to do so many things it's like a cat on a hot tin roof you know you have to consistently jump around and, and do all of that um, and, and, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure people also saw on social media the, the, the little video clip former President Zuma mm. put out, you know, to thank his supporters and sure. so on. That's not a message from a unified ANC for me. You know, that is a sign of me, of Zuma saying me, 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 thank you for me, you know, and very, mm. very, very pointedly, in effect, without saying anything or doing anything, uh, mobilizing support for himself. So, I mean, I think if anything, this manifesto, not in actually what happened on the day, but the content of the manifesto as well, shows still a deeply fragmented ANC and the Ramaphosa, which is desperately trying to keep it all together. Mm. And I think he's going to pay a price for it in his presidency because he is becoming less and less charismatic Mm. um, and less and less inspirational in my view, which he should be because that is who he naturally is because he's trying to... Um, try and please everybody inside the party to keep the party together. Mm. Well, let me bring in our other guest, Professor Jolene Stein-Kutzer, who is a senior research specialist at the Human Sciences Research Council. Uh, Professor Jolene, thank you for giving us your time. We're speaking about those particular dynamics that we saw at the Moses Mabida Stadium uh, with Melanie Fervut. And what was interesting is hearing the echo of a celebration when... Um, 
Jacob Zuma's name was mentioned. I'm not sure if it was at his home group because it was his, his home ground in Durban. Um, I'm not quite sure if that's the, the, the dynamic that is uh, actually the, the real theme that we saw there. Or do you think that uh, Jacob Zuma's relevance is still maintained in uh, the African National Congress, Professor? You know, it's it's very interesting because I think, you know, if you start kind of a detailed analysis of the electoral results and you trace it from, let's say, 1999 through to the uh, last general election we had in 2014, um, KwaZulu-Natal is one of the only provinces where the ANC seems to have increased its support. Um, and w- what we've noticed, if you look at those provincial results specifically, you have seen a declining trend in electoral support for the ANC in the Eastern Cape, which of course is its traditional stronghold, mm. so there should be a worry around that, in Northwest, uh, in the Free State, and in Limpopo. So, you know, it, it could potentially be that you... you, you use Durban and, and KwaZulu-Natal kind of as the launch for the ANC's election manifesto um, and that there may still be a measure of support for, for Jacob Zuma. But I would be careful of that argument as well because it almost, again, it, it buys into the, the, the convenient explanation of mm. tribalism, um, mm. you know, and I mm. think overall that the dynam- current dynamics within the ANC are far more complicated than those Mm -hmm. simplified um, All right, let's look at the manifesto itself because that's what the conversation is all about. I was reading the Business Day um, yesterday and uh, they were reporting that the RAND fell this weekend with areas of concerns coming uh, from the manifesto itself. Coming back to you, Melanie, uh, they, they speak about the fact that there was concern for foreign investors around policy issues, especially the area whereby it seemed that there was an ordering of pension funds to invest in state-owned enterprises and Mm -hmm. also the maintenance of ESCOM's monopoly. That was concerning for uh, foreign investors, and I can say it's fairly uh, okay for them to be concerned around those two areas because uh, state-owned enterprises haven't been um, strong in terms of uh, their profit-making abilities and also the fact that we've seen a lot of corruption within them. What are your thoughts around that particular area, especially when it comes to this manifesto? Look, um, a manifesto is meant to do two things. The one thing it does is, of course, mobilize voters. So it needs to be inspiring. It needs to get tell voters, we've got this. We're going to respond to what your major needs are, and, and therefore you should vote for us. Um, and the second one is to give certainty, and particularly in a country like ours where we desperately need the economy to grow and where it's such a big priority, you need to give certainty to the financial markets, to the financial sector. It doesn't matter. Often it doesn't matter so much what you're giving mm. certainty, but they want the certainty. That's the main thing. Mm. And, and unfortunately, I think this manifesto does neither. It's not inspirational. You know, it feels to me you've got 64 pages of, of a wish list. It feels mm. to me like every single minister in, and policy head in the ANC sat down and went, if I, was, if I had God-like powers and I could fix this country, what would I do? And they chucked that all into the manifesto, which means that, that a huge, large chunk of that is same old, same old, 
also highly unrealistic that they would be able to do it. And in frankly, does not give certainty to the markets. And the specific issues that you are raising is, um, yeah, and there's a few other things. I mean, it's not only those things. So first of all, they've got this, they say they need to investigate it. So they're not saying they're definitely going to do it, but they mm. say investigate this prescribed assets on financial institution fund, mm. um, you know, which means that they will tell uh, pension funds, for example, where that certain categories of social investment um, that is um, uh, that is responsible social investment, that they should do a certain percentage of their inv uh, investments into these funds. Um, I think that's going to go nowhere because I think the trade union, Kusatu, et cetera, has mm. seen what the dangers of, of messing around with pension funds, you know, with the PIC, with, with many of the other issues. And I don't think they're going to go for it. So first of all, I don't think it's very, very realistic. But secondly, then also this whole idea of a sovereign wealth fund. Um, and often the example that is used is Norway. That's an old thing of Ibrahim Patel that. And the thing about that is, of course, um, you know, that works in a country like Norway, mm. where you have a massive surplus in your economy and have had years and years of very careful investments into various parastatals, et cetera. Um, but you have a surplus fundamentally. We don't have that. So we, you know, so again, that's highly unrealistic. Then you've got something like this proposed idea of uh, a state-owned pharmaceutical company to provide the state with the necessary medication for then the proposed NHI. Again, you know, if we if we look at all our state-owned enterprises, there is virtually none of them that is at the moment even close to being um, a success. Um, you know, so why would we again go and invest billions, presumably, in something which is highly unlikely to succeed and will fail? And so I think what we're seeing is that on the one hand, I'm not so worried about the land thing, and I think they've, mm. they've bent over backwards to clarify the land thing, although companies will still sit back now and wait until, you know, after the elections to see what actually comes into legislation and the constitution. But I think all these other things, what it does is on the one hand, they, you know, the ANC is trying to put band-aids on certain uncertainties, and yet then on the other hand, they mm. create new ones, um, which then affects the market. And so you're going to see companies drifting sideways and mm. not actually doing what Ramaphosa needs them to do at this stage, and that is to come in in a major way and invest. I mean, there is other issues as well mm. that we're looking too much at a, at a I think, an investment-driven mm. economic policy rather than an export-driven economic sure, sure. policy. But that's the next issue. All right, let me come to you, Professor Jolene, because another concern that came forward was uh, the fact that you kind of saw a leftist approach, especially when it came to to uh, the manifesto highlighting uh, the Reserve Bank. Well, in his manifesto, it stated, let me quote this manifesto, the ANC believes that the South African Reserve Bank must pursue a flexible monetary policy regime aligned with the objectives of the second phase of the uh, transition. I'm sure that was uh, very much... Uh, uh, worrying factor because we know that uh, when we saw this happening with uh, uh, the public protector uh, trying to also meddle into the work of the Reserve Bank, there was also uncertainty when it came to investments and investors and the markets. No, I think, you know, but again, it's not a new theme. You know, mm. like if you track your ANC manifesto, the electoral manifesto, mm. most notably from 2009, um, you know, you kind of tend to find these themes coming up. You know, there's the slight shift to the left or perhaps a more radical approach to the left, and then so it, it carries on. Um, I think the key issue, uh, if we're talking in terms of an investment point of view, 
Um, for me, the proof is going to be in the pudding, and I think that is what people would want to see. So we've got the State Capture Commission, for example, um, that will start resuming next week. Mm. There has been a promise to deal with issues around state capture and corruption. Um, and my question then is, in order to restore some semblance of public faith and, let's say, investment faith in the governing ability of the ANC, how will the ANC be able to hold those directly implicated accountable and still maintain some semblance of unity uh, within the party going to the election? Um, you know, ultimately, as... Um, Millennia pointed out as well, there's a lot of mm. narrative, there's a lot of rhetoric, there's a lot of uncertainty within the, um, within the manifesto. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to what decisive action can be taken and how the ANC is going to take that action and do what they need to do mm. um, in order to gain not just public trust, but let's say investment trust, international trust and so mm. forth. Okay, before I let you go, uh, um, uh, Dr. Yolene, I'll stay with uh, Melanie. I'm interested in that particular point that you made right now, saying some of these uh, issues have been in the manifesto, but it seems like now there has been kind of an awakening to some finer points, especially when you look at effects of such as the Reserve Bank, because some people would see these as a tendency of uh, the ANC moving from its uh, very much uh, um, middle kind of stance when it comes to its uh, policy philosophy to moving towards uh, to the left should South Africans or even the international community be concerned around this uh, the fact that yes we've seen the EFF actually taking um, the kind of the, 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 the mood of the country towards that particular direction and you're almost seeing the ANC moving into uh, that uh, uh, move, uh, that way uh, kind of set by uh, the EFF? You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting point, though, because if you look at it from a pure politics perspective, um, one could make the argument that with uh, that particular point around the Reserve Bank, for example, the ANC is really trying to neutralize what it may perceive to be its biggest competition in terms of um, the various voter bases across the country. So to try and mobilize the court around itself as a political party, it could be addressing those key issues that the EFF has been raising. That would include issues around, for example, nationalization, of course, uh, land expropriation without compensation, um, and so forth. Whether over the next five years the ANC will indeed take it forward, that remains to be seen. And it would also depend on what portion of the vote it would get in the national and provincial elections. Um, we may very well see a decline in, in, in ANC's electoral support which would make it not as easy to push policies through Parliament as it was with its dominant position it held.
or mm. holds, currently mm. holds. Mm. Well, thank you for giving us your time there, Professor. That's Professor Yolene Steinkutze, who is joining us from the Human Sciences Research Council. She's a senior research specialist there. Well, when we come back, we'll stay with Melanie Fervut, and uh, uh, we'll also get more commentary from Dr. Inna Hosts, also joining us uh, after the break. She's a senior lecturer at the University of the Free State in the Department of Governance and Political Transformation. Afri-capitalism is about the intersection of economic prosperity and social wealth. On the 21st of this month, the Shed Value Africa Initiative Summit will take place at Lily's Leaf Farm just outside the city of Johannesburg in South Africa. High-powered business people of all ages will meet to strategically assess the challenges of facing business on our continent and set an agenda for 2019 to 2020. If you cannot make it, do not worry. Join Channel Africa from 1100 hours to 1200 hours Central African time for live coverage of the event. Together, we can create the Africa we want and build shared value ecosystems across the continent to grow the Africa economy for all. So join us on the 21st of January for the Shared Value Africa Initiative Summit. Channel Africa bringing you the African Perspective. Hey, go visit our uh, Facebook page simply titled Channel Africa. We're asking the question there, do you think the ruling party, the African National Congress, is still the relevant political party to deal with the challenges of South Africa after being in power for almost 25 years? Bozat Dor says, I think that the people of South Africa should give more of a chance to the ruling party in order uh, that uh, the promises uh, be realized. And I asked uh, uh, Bozart Dor that uh, does he not think that uh, the fact that we haven't seen a lot of transformation in the economy of South Africa, that we need to give another political party a chance. And Bozart Dor said he didn't think that another political party had the chance to rule Mm -hmm. uh, South Africa right now. So those are the views uh, coming from you. Give us your thoughts on our Facebook page is simply titled uh, Channel Africa. Let me uh, come back to you, Melanie, before I bring mm-hmm. in Dr. Inahos to this particular um, uh, conversation. The fact that I was speaking to uh, the notion that it seems like the ANC is EFF-led. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a good thing, of course, is if you've got 64 pages of things that you plan to do or that you promise to do, mm. you basically capture any possibility that of anything that any other political party can say, you know, so you've got it in there. Um, I think it is true that the EFF at times, they are clever, they are very tactical, so at times what they do is they, for example, on the land thing, they were consistently jumping ahead of the ANC, so the ANC was consistently caught on the back foot. The policy wasn't fundamentally anti-ANC, but it was or what the ANC's policy was, but they consistently, the, the EF, you know, the ANC was getting distracted by getting rid of Jacob Zuma, the EFF put the, the motion on the table in Parliament, then the ANC kind of lost control of the public hearings, and the EFF used it as election mobilization, etc. So I think that's often what happens. Um, and, 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 of course, it is true that the ANC is sensitive about the fact that the EFF might take some of their voters, although... You know, not dramatically, it seems, at this stage from anything we've seen in the opinion polls. Um, 
so yes, I mean, I think, you know, they are cautious of it, and you can feel some of that in there. But I have to say, I, this upcoming election is, for me, not about the opposition parties at all. Um, it is far more in Maastricht, too. So it is, and what I mean by that is that it is uh, Ramaphosa who has to finally um, deal with this ghost of the 175 votes that he won, whatever it was, mm. at Nazareth. That small majority. That's what he needs to deal with. There is no question that the ANC is going to be the majority party by far nationally. Probably, provincially it gets interesting, but nationally. And, and so it most probably get around 60%, um, all things being going the way they are now, and maybe even a little bit above that. But that's not the question. The question is, can Ramaphosa deliver a big enough public majority and a public vote for the ANC in order for him to quiet down his attractors inside the ANC and to deal with that remnant of the Zuma faction. Um, and, you know, this is, this is why I'm also critical because I don't think that, that manifesto and the way it was delivered, he definitely needs new speech writers. Um, <laughs> it's it, it being inspirational enough. Hmm. You know, um, I think they would have been far better off saying to people, we're going to the number one thing which affects voters if you poll them, is jobs. You know, we are saying this election, our manifesto is about jobs, 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 not steal the DA slogan mm. of one South Africa for all, and say to people, and this is how we're going to do it in the short term, we're going to focus on tourism, mm. on the longer term, we're mm. growing the economy. So I think, you know, I'm less worried about the EFF than I think many other people are, far more worried about whether mm. Ramaphosa can gain control of, of all the factions inside the ANC. Mm. Dr. Ho's very interesting insights coming from Melanie, especially the fact that uh, I agree with her, the fact that the, the 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 manifesto in itself actually showed the dynamics in, of the factions within the ANC more than anything. So the intra-party politics were almost intricately woven into this uh, manifesto. So I, I agree with it, and influence of that uh, throughout, particularly after the, the election, we've seen this play out ever since the conference, and uh, we knew that whatever deals and, 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 and cooperation was, was was pledged there was going to have to play itself out, particularly in the time running up to the election, and. You know, he, will, he would always have to have to cope with that and manage these factions. And what we, he saw with the way he, he went around his relationship with Jacob Zuma and, uh, and, and, and so forth when the launch happened, that this is not something he has a lot of control over at the moment. So she's absolutely right in the sense that the mandate that sort of was going to be left with after the election will dictate how to do I'm struggling with your line there, Dr. Inuchos. I'm not quite sure. Um, I'm going to just take a quick break and then I'll come back to you because I want to hear your viewpoints there. Um, that's the voice of Dr. Inuchos, Senior Lecturer of Governance and Political Transformation at the University of the Free State, joining us for the first time this year. So it's great to have Dr. Inuchos there. We're also speaking to Melanie Fervut, who is a political analyst, joining us uh, on the line. Earlier on, we're pre- speaking to Professor 
Professor Jolene Stein Kutsia, a senior research specialist at the Human Sciences Research Council. Seems like the ladies are taking a leading role today as political analysts on the show. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and just get those uh, viewpoints uh, uh, from Dr. Inahos and also look at uh, this promise of jobs. Is it really a reality? And I know that uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, the president of the country and also of the uh, ANC, has uh, promised 1.2 trillion rands in new investments over five years, 275,000 jobs each year in the next four to five years. Is that feasible? Let's take a quick break. We'll come back to our guests after this. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms on Shortwave, uh, our main service into Sub-Saharan Africa, and on DSTV Channel 802 on the audio bouquet. And if you're listening to us uh, on uh, our website, uh, thank you for joining us there on that platform uh, where you can uh, get us mainly internationally on www.channelafrica.co.za. And earlier on, uh, we were uh, having the bugs in our system. I couldn't really hear uh, Dr. Inahos, but I know that you were agreeing with the sentiment of the fact that we're seeing the polarization within uh, the ANC through the manifestation of their own manifesto. Yes, um, as I said, I don't know how much you heard, but, you know, the middle ground is is what uh, specifically the president had to take at the Mm -hmm. moment because he's managing these factions. And we we always knew that after the... um, conference that whatever deals were made to get the enough votes we, 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 we will have we were going to see it play out mm. uh, particularly in the run-up to the elections and probably afterwards as well the, the, it all depends now on what kind of mandate the president gets after the election to do what he wants to do particularly as you said when it comes to the economy um, what bothers me about this and it always has is this whole idea of promising jobs in the first place it's um, it, it, it serves no purpose whatsoever because mm. no political party can promise jobs. Mm. It's, it's just not possible. Uh, whoever ends up in government and the kind of government you, you end up having, administration, uh, you know, creating the correct environment for particularly the private sector to come and invest and create those jobs. So for people to, 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 to cling to that idea that a political party, particularly the, the, the ANC, must promise jobs or can promise jobs is... It's something they have to start taking off the table um, uh, completely. You know, the ANC has been able to uh, come every year with, uh, and every election with, with, with a launch for, for, for the manifesto and look at their track record as in governance and what have they done, the mistakes they've made, although they don't really focus on that so much. But they are not the only party with a track record for governance anymore. 
the, the DA does in the Western Cape, but the whole province, and then the two major metros, obviously, in, in Gauteng. So, you know, they can't only focus on that. And when you think about jobs then, with the kind of investments that the DA has done with all the problems politically with their leadership and their message, they have created jobs in an economy where the rest of the country has not. So what did they do? Did the party provide these jobs? No. They have a whole section or dedicated to development to into the province which created jobs. And that's the kind of recipe they can now take to an election, mm. which has been working. And the ANC is missing that point and mm. that boat for me the mm. whole time. Let me come back to you, Melanie. What, what are your thoughts around this job creation mantra that we go into every fourth year when we're leading up to mm. elections? I mean, I was listening to a presenter on a TV program, news program, was saying it seems like the strategy has changed and how also they message this job creation thing where before it was, we'll create five million jobs over five mm. years and now the lettering has changed to just uh, 275,000 jobs per year. Which is, I mean, I agree with the point that the state cannot create jobs unless, of course, they expand the public sector, which we cannot do. I mean, we're already totally overburdened on the public sector uh, salary bowl. Mm. So that, in fact, what needs to happen is they need to reduce jobs on that side. And, of course, there are many challenges in terms of job creation. You know, if ESCOM will have to shape jobs. Um, from anything we know, that, so that will, and then most probably other parastatals as well. Um, you know, if you see a downturn um, in the platinum mining, etc., you're going to lose masses. I mean, tens of thousands of jobs. And uh, at the same time, so the the ANC manifesto says 275,000 per, per annum. At the same time, they've also put a target where they want 24 million people employed by 2030, assuming that there's no job losses. They are at you know, 16 million at the moment. That means you need to get closer to 666,000 per annum. So you know, 275 is very far from that. Um, and even if you just see new entrants into the labour market, you know, you're going to the unemployment will keep on growing. Mm. Um, unless, of course, what the state can do is say, in the short term, what we're going to do as a state is we're going to focus totally on supporting, for example, the tourism sector. Because at the tourism sector and the short term, you can very quickly create jobs. I don't know if you remember years mm. ago when Cheryl Carolas was head of South African tourism, they, they did this research which said for every eight tourists that comes into the country, you create another job. Mm. So by, by pushing tourism, by, by and every, everybody in, in all the departments may need to be focused on that. And of course, you can also do it at the low skills level as well. So you focus on that on the short term whilst you get the basic things, which should have been fixed by now, but let's, let's let that be. And you fix the education, the health, the infrastructure, et cetera, in the meantime, and you then provide conditions that allow the economy to grow. Um, because alternatively, you know, mm. I mean, apart from the thing about expanding the public works program, which would be a good thing, but you're mm. only going to talk about a couple of thousands or tens of thousands. You're not going to talk about hundreds of thousands mm. of jobs that you can create through that. You know what? I want to come back to this particular point, especially that uh, that message that I uh, I read on our Channel Africa Facebook page, where Bozat Do was saying that that he thinks that South Africa should give the ruling party uh, a chance in order to make sure these promises are realised, and he, he was mm. saying that he doesn't think another political party has the chance to rule South Africa. Seems like the notion that uh, uh, you you were re- 
reiterating earlier on, uh, Melanie, the fact that you do mm. see um, the ANC actually also re- retaining its dominance in, in these upcoming elections. Why do you think that's still the case? Why do you think we are still uh, reflective on the ANC? And it seems like the only party that people are still captured with. Look, I mean, there has been a diversification of voting. We have seen a little bit of that. Um, And, you know, we're seeing the fragmentation of the, if you want to call it left, it's a bit difficult to know these days what's left and right. But sort of, you know, with this new MAC party, the the new uh, ATM party, all of that, you know, but that I think is going to bite more into the EFF voting and so on. But we're seeing, of course, the diversification. And we saw with the local government election that people Mm. suddenly understood that they can play around with their votes, Mm. you know. Um, so I don't buy this thing that people just say it's blind loyalty. I sure. don't think it's that. I think there is a bit of that and, of course, the historical consciousness of that. But there's also a lack of options for people on the opposition side. Um, you know, and it, it's all fair and well, you know, to talk about the DA, etc. But there is no way that the DA is ready to govern South Africa. If you see the mess that they had in Cape Town with Patricia DeLocke, and they couldn't even manage that properly. It took them almost 18 months to sort that out. Imagine if they have to face mm. the daily crises that, that a big government, a national government, mm. needs to face. Mm. So I was interested in what your, your person, sorry, I didn't get his name, that you said on Facebook, mm. that, that commented. I mean, frankly, I, I think that the ANC is the only relevant party still at this stage because there is no one else that can do it um, and so on. That doesn't mean that they're not perfect. I just mm. think that, you know, that... Um, that um, that you know they are still the only sort mm. of real player in town in terms of government mm. and national government at least different on provincial and local level mm. I think the other thing that one needs to say is and I, and I agree with your comment, your commentator there is that and you know we also do need to some extent and I don't want to give them completely a get out of jail card I'm very angry about something they haven't got right and for example education which could have been fixed mm. by now um, but we do have to recognize that decades and decades of apartheid was never going to be erased in two and a half decades of, of, of new liberation um, after, after liberation. So, yes, I mean, that was never going to, to happen. And mm. so I do also think we do need to give them time. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, they also need to get their act together. And, I've, I mean, at least, at least there's an acknowledgement of that in the manifesto. I mm. think that's mm. a positive. You know, where Ramaphosa says we haven't done as good as we could do. Um, and frankly, I feel this manifesto is also still not good enough. I, I still think the ANC in the country can do better than that. Mm. Uh, Ina, your your final sentiments. They're just in in thirty seconds. I've run out of time, but I'd like to I'd like to hear you responding to the thoughts that Melanie has brought forward as we wrap up the conversation. Well, yes. I mean, when, it, when it comes to governing, the ANC is the party who has the the experience, if you will, in in in, in the last twenty five years, twenty three years, whatever. Um, which other parties does not. Uh, and governing a province most definitely is not uh, the same as running a whole country. But when she said ANC is the only private party who can do it, is where I'm skeptical. I don't think they can. And when I think about what our provinces, our local governments look like, and the complete disarray of, 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 of our municipalities in general, it's very clear to me that they are not capable this particular administration of doing that. And that's my problem. I don't know if a national election, mm. even with the great mandate for Sora Maposa, will be able to fix this mess. And, and therein lies the proof in the pudding for me. Mm.
Mm, well, thank you, Dr. Inakos. We, no <laughs> we have to do it. <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Inakos. Definitely only time will tell. Uh, Dr. Inakos is a senior lecturer at the University of uh, the Free State in Governance and Political Transformation. Thank you as well to Melanie Fervut, who is joining us today as a political analyst, but has been a former ANC MP. And also, we had Professor Yolene Stein Kutsia. Uh, it seems the ladies were in dominance today. She's a senior research specialist at the Human Sciences Research Council. Remember, keep that conversation going on our Facebook channel Africa page.